Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 136, BGG Hotness Review. We'd like to thank our new Patreon backer, Oda, for helping us bring an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. So, Anthony, here we are back again talking about everything great in board gaming. So what's been going on with you in your board gaming days? So many games. So many games. And reviews. I'm still working through the Gen Con pile, I'll be honest with you. Like I'm <laughs> PAX is like what, six weeks away now, seven weeks away now. Yep. And I just need to I just need to get this pile finished. There's so many games here. So we're so never like, gonna get to the uh politics spin-off podcast, I guess. Oh no, those are the outtakes. Oh, okay. Nobody wants to well, some of you want to hear that. About 50% of you would love to hear that. The other 50% would never listen to us again. <laughs> All right, well, let's play it safe and stick with the board games then. <laughs> yeah, like, let's do board games. We'll stick with, like, 17th century European politics. There you go. It does make a very good game, so why not, right? Exactly, you know? <laughs> Nobody has strong opinions about it anymore in it the could, U.S. It could like, be us. It could be a whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, things are going good, but you're just trying to get through this list, man. Sure. Well, we're cracking away at it, and actually, this episode, I'm going to be, you know, blowing through a bunch of games that I recently played with a bunch of friends of mine and people from my game group. So, quick shout-out to Paul, Jay, Russ, Alex, and Kat, who helped me get through a whole bunch of party games, and I didn't cry once. So, yay! <laughs> Yay! No tears. <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't It was as brutally painful as uh, playing party games tend to be at a game night with a game group. But That's good. Well, hopefully that means some of them are good. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. It's, it's kind of a mixed bag, but that's what you expect when it comes to party games. But uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But what's been going on with the uh, BGA universe, Anthony? All right. So, yeah, um, first things up, just wanted to make sure you guys know what's going on with Every Night is Game Night this week. Speaking of that giant Gen Con pile, uh, Jason and I ran through seven different games last week, and including Spirit Island, which you should definitely hear uh, thoughts on that from the solo perspective. This coming week, we are talking about seven more games. So these are all games that came out over the summer through Gen Con. Um, so we got reviews of Flip Ships, Triplock, Magic Maze, Terraforming Mars expansions, Eldritch Horror expansions, Time Stories expansions, and Summit, the board game, the solo cooperative mode only. I'm going to do a, a written review of the rest of it. But make sure to check that out later in the week. Lots and lots of reviews of different games that came out over the summer from a, that kind of solo perspective. So that's on the Every Night is Game Night side. On the Patreon side... Make sure you check that out, guys. We have a brand new Slack group set up, and we want you to join us in the Slack group because that's where we're going to be talking about all sorts of cool stuff. You can help us figure out our questions of the day. You can help us figure out what games we're going to cover next. You can help us figure out which publishers and games we track down at conventions. This is the kind of stuff we're going to be asking about and talking about in those groups. And, you know, just talking about games we recently played or reviewed in general. So... If you join us on Patreon at the basic $1 level, 
you get an invite to the Patreon. You are part of the group. We'll add your name to the list of backers on the website and here on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's that simple. Um, if you bump up to the $2 level, then you can tell us what game you want us to review, and we'll put it in the queue as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, fair warning, uh, right of refusal if your game is 1,500 hours long. We're not playing Campaign for North Africa, but we will definitely play, like, the vast majority of stuff you guys recommend. So, you know, it makes our jobs easier. We don't have to track games down. You just tell us what to play. We'll go figure it out. So, yeah, definitely hop on on Patreon. We, we'd love to have you guys join us there. And the Slack channel, that's all easy to use for people who haven't used the Slack previously? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, it's kind of like a message board or chat group, um, but it's organized by channels. So we have a channel for BGA, a channel for Every Night It's Game Night. We have a channel for recent games we've been playing, a channel for random whatevers. You can message people directly. So it's like a cross between Facebook pages and a messenger and Twitter direct messages. <laughs> it's like everything twisted together. But yeah, it's pretty easy to use. And it runs on your phone. So you get all the notifications there as well. Nice. And we'll be on there as well. So if you have a question or you just want to pop up there and say something, we'll answer those back to you because our phones never lead our sides. Exactly. It's kind of scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know it pops up all the time. One last thing I wanted to mention, too. We have a brand new contest this week. Uh, yes. So... <laughs> We, we finished up our summer upgrade contest uh, a couple weeks ago. We had a few winners there. Thank you, everybody who entered that. Our new contest, we're actually partnering up with Geeks First. So these guys, they make inserts and custom different organizers and trays and all sorts of stuff for board games and collectible card games and all sorts of different things. We met them in Origins, and they're really cool guys. So what we're doing is we're partnering up with them, and we're running a Fix My Game contest. It's very easy to enter. Go to the Facebook page, go to the website, go to Twitter. You'll find all the links there. And all you have to do is send us a picture of the game that you feel is the messiest and that could use some form of upgrade and organization. You know, a game that maybe doesn't have a broken token insert. There's plenty of them. And maybe a short description. When you enter the contest, you have to fill out this little form, answer the question. Maybe a short description of why you think you should win. Everybody goes into the pool. We're going to pick three winners and they're going to receive gift certificates from Geeks First for these uh, modular systems to help organize their games. So you can check out my review on YouTube of their products if you want to see what this stuff's all about. And if you want to enter the contest, just hit up all the different places we are. And it's, it's pretty simple to enter. You just need to upload an image and let us know what game you're talking about. And we'll get you in the pool. So definitely hit that up. It'll be up probably right when this episode goes up. We'll get that up for you. Wow, that sounds great. And what's really interesting about those inserts is when somebody actually gets something to fix their game, if for some reason that game is moving on or they're selling that game, they can actually take that insert out and kind of reorganize that and use it for a different game. Yeah, that's the really cool thing. Like I've purchased a couple of broken token inserts for LCGs, for example, where once the game gets too big for that box, I pull it out, I put it in a different solution, and then I have this insert that I can't really use for anything because it's designed for that game. Nah, <laughs> like, it's not ideal. These are super modular. They're designed to be used in all sorts of different games and different size boxes. So you definitely check out that review if you want to see what that looks like. And trust me, it's, it's a good way to fill in games that maybe don't have inserts, never will have inserts, obscure games, but maybe games you really love and want to organize a little bit better. All right, that sounds great. All right, Anthony, let's get on to our question of the week. All righty, guys. So we had a 
a couple of really good questions this week. So I'm going to do one today uh, for this episode, and then next week we'll do the second one. Um, and what I ask people for the first one is, what game are you tired of hearing people dump on? I see a lot of these posts from people that are like, I'm tired of hearing about this game. It's super hyped. So I thought, what is the opposite? What game are you tired of people saying is overhyped <laughs> or is horrible? Got a ton of responses for this. The number one response was Munchkin. So I'm sure, Chris, you're glad to hear that, right? A little bit. I got some validation there after all these years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a couple like backhanded compliments here. Thomas said, Munchkin, the game is widely is a widely unbalanced mess. But it's also hilarious and has been responsible for some of the most hilarious gaming sessions in which I've participated. So <laughs> his answer was, it's not good, but it's still fun. That's pretty much what I'm saying. So yeah, 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 I, I'm, I'm with you. Chris mentioned One Deck Dungeon and Tiny Epic Western. These are relatively recent and I can see that. I mean, any recent game, it gets overhyped and then there will be people who bring it back down. So I think recent games that are overhyped. Like Scythe, for example, is another one, or Terraforming Mars. There's going to be people who try to bring it back down. The games are still really good. So in a few years, we'll still be talking about them. Nathan mentioned Cryptozoic Deck Builders. I understand they're not for everyone, but I enjoy them. I'm a sucker for deck builders, though. Slap an IP on them, and I love them, and I'm a good to go. So I agree on that one. Yeah. Uh, it's I think we call this the potato chips of gaming before. We did, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good description. They're fun. They're easy. They're accessible. They're not amazing, but they're fun. Yeah, it's a decent base and and just different flavoring kind of thrown on top. Yeah, totally. I had a couple people mention Catan. So there are people out there who still love Catan. Sure. And a lot of us rank on Catan. So it's true. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Look, it happens. Let's make it up to them. Sheep for wood. Come on. Sheep for wood. Yes. Huh? No. <laughs> OK, let's see here. Our buddy David. He mentioned Kingdom Builder. Uh -huh. uh, that one does get a lot of grief as well. And I'll be honest, I haven't actually played Kingdom Builder, probably because of all that grief. Sure. But it won the spiel this year, so it can't be that bad. Sure. I mean, it's just anything is going to be a disappointment after Dominion. I'm sorry. Dominion was just such a phenomenal kind of, you know, modern classic that what could he follow up with? So Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Dominion. And somebody mentioned Dominion and then someone else said, no one ranks on Dominion. Dominion's great. So <laughs> I agree. Um, no theme there. But otherwise, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just ranked on it. There you go. So now there you go. Man, justified it. We've, we've fixed that problem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, lots of good games on the list. Uh, I think, yeah, there's always going to be games people will pick on for no particular reason. Sure. Like for me, the one that I always get annoyed at when people pick on is Formula D. It's... It's roll and move, but it's fun. And there's a D30 and you get to go flying around those corners and sometimes you just crash. I, I don't know. I always have a lot of fun with that game and the people who try to, to drag it down when we're trying to get it to the table. They always frustrate me. Was that me? No, nah, it wasn't me, right? See, it's totally you and a whole bunch of other people. I just like rolling the D30. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is the best part, but the rest of the game's fun too. Okay. <laughs> Put the pitchforks down. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Guess the one I get a lot is Rococo, which mm -hmm. is a game about this opulent point in European history where you have all these, and I guess this is probably the main point of it, all of these beautiful dresses and men's suit coats along with fireworks and decorations. So when I bring this game out, I'm like, look, this is Rococo. It's an amazing game. Take a look at the box. It has an expansion. It's a jewelry expansion. And it has a phenomenal deck building component to it 
where you have to play your whole deck eventually. So you pick up a couple of cards, you got to play them, and then you have to pick up a, another bunch. So you're really playing ahead. Think of Mombasa, but in a kind of a more condensed version. And people look at it and they're like, it's about dresses and the expansion's jewelry. And I'm like, so? What's, what's the big deal? So just because of that theme alone, people bash on that game. And it's really unfortunate because it's really a phenomenal game. Still haven't played it. But yep. It's someday. probably because of the dress thing, right? Is that what you're trying to say? That, I, I've, I've yet to see it. I don't own it. And I've yet to see someone bring it out. I will sit down and play this if anybody ever puts it down. Yeah, I think it's just because of that reason. And that's really terribly unfortunate because it's a phenomenal game. But people will bash on just because of the theme. And sure. when it comes to Euro games, that's kind of silly. Yeah, especially Euro games. <laughs> All right, so that's our question of the week. Now on to our acquisitions disorder. So, Anthony, when people are not bashing, what are you thinking about getting to the table? Okay, so uh, this is a game that I, I actually got a chance to play the prototype of. I took home a prototype from Gen Con. The designer handed it off for a review. And it's on Kickstarter right now. So I wanted to talk about it in the acquisition disorder because we don't generally do final reviews of prototypes but it is pretty darn cool and i wanted to talk about it here uh and that's spy club ah. so this is the newest game from foxtrot games these are the guys who have partnered up with renegade a couple times they did world's fair 1893 nice. they most recently did i think fox in the woods and uh randy hoyt who's one of the co-designers on this game uh, sat me down and he talked me through it and th the basic idea of the game is it's cooperative and you play these I don't know, I guess they're like 11, 12 years old, uh, little detectives. So think, you know, boxcar kids, mm -hmm. you know, Nancy Drew type of mysteries. And you're trying to solve these different mysteries of like, who stole mom's purse and who put lipstick on the dog or, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> okay. There's no murders or gruesome crime scenes or horrible, awful things happening. These are just. Oh, <laughs> I know. Right. Some people will be upset, but. It's nice and wholesome. All the different cards in here are very beautiful and fun to look at. Original artwork and everything. And the basic idea of the game is you're trying to figure out the five different aspects of each crime. So, like, who committed the crime? Where did they do it? Why did they do it? When did they do it? All these different things. There's five of them. And to do that, you're just running through these some basic co-op mechanics. You're moving cards around. You're flipping cards over. Each card is two-sided, so there's... You know, maybe one aspect on one side, one aspect on the other. There's distractions you have to work through. And a lot of this is, it's not abstract necessarily, but it's a very mechanical. You're trying to work through these things. And that alone, the basic game where you're trying to work through this and you're fighting against the time deck and the movement deck and these various different things that can end the game early on you. So you can, every time the, the suspect moves, they're going to use up ideas and run down the deck on you. And there's a chance they can escape moving up the escape track. All these things you have to manage to try to solve the case before they get away. That's great. It's a fun game. I would give a recommendation based on that alone. Okay. But the cool thing about this game is that it uses this mosaic system, which is a unique customizable campaign system. It has this full deck of cards. They're hidden. You can't see what they are in advance because it's it. Every one of these cards adds a unique element to the game that tweaks the rules, adjusts things, adds new things, puts in characters and maps and different elements and items. And how that works is you're going to go through a series of five different cases. And in each case, you're going to find one of those five aspects. But different things are going to change throughout the game. And I can't really go with too much detail into that because a lot of it's easy to spoil. But I can say that the 
the campaign deck, which has 150 different cards and 40 different kind of modules to work with, adds so much depth to this game and so many cool ideas that it's it's just it's really really cool i mean it's just a fun unique it's not something like i've played before it's not legacy but it's not like a campaign like you played in something like you know any dungeon crawl or you know first martians or anything like that it's not one of those big games it's a very simple accessible cooperative game but this campaign mode that is there really adds so much depth here and turns it into a real gamer's game so on one hand you have this fairly accessible almost family weight cooperative game which is not easy but it's simple enough that you know you can play with the family and then you ramp that up and you turn it into this cooperative campaign game that you know maybe takes four hours to play through all five campaigns and you have something else entirely and i'm excited to see this same system in other games because i think it's gonna be really cool what they're able to do with it but i'm also just really excited to see this game finished and be able to play the final version i did a written review of this it's on the website you can check it out there uh the game's also on kickstarter and you can check it out there. Uh, I think it's still funding for the next couple weeks when this episode goes up. So definitely check it out. I think, you know, people who like co-ops, people who like mysteries, people who like fun, unique themes that are not the typical, you know, murder, death, kill um, cooperative game are probably going to like this one. So check it out. What would you say weight-wise as far as the complexity is concerned? I mean, it's a two. I mean, it, somewhere in the two range probably sure. for, you know, the basic game. Maybe turn that up to a two five, two seven. Uh, once you get into the campaign mode, it's not hard necessarily, but it definitely adds a lot more to it. You're changing rules, you're adding new elements, you're tweaking things. I wouldn't even say it makes the game significantly harder. I think it just makes it more gamery. Sure. Uh, so it's not necessarily something you play with your family. I don't want to call this a legacy game, but it's like comparable to what Pandemic Legacy does to the Pandemic formula and adding new stuff to it. But in a replayable format and not quite at that scale. Sounds good. And I'm glad that you can talk about it despite it being Spy Club. So it's good Yeah, thing. it's fun. <laughs> First rule, man. All right. So I want to talk about a game that's going to be coming out at Essen. And it's called Coaster Park, as in Roller Coaster Park. And this game was made by Scott Alms. You may know him from all the tiny epic stuff that he creates. Now, this is a light game, but I think what really drew me to this game was the display. Because this is one of the games that has all the kind of great gimmicks that you want to have at your table at a meetup game night. So, what you're doing in this game is you're actually constructing a roller coaster. Now, you're saying, actually constructing? Am I really actually constructing it? Well, kind of. It's going to be out of cardboard. But basically, the game is about building the best roller coaster that's going to score you, of course, the most points possible, which are flags in this game. And the game starts out with a market of different parts of a roller coaster that you're going to be able to construct. And they're also going to be specialists in this game. So kind of like Isle of Sky, where you're the first person kind of offering to the rest of the table a card, or in this case, a card that's going to depict which piece of roller coaster you can build. You're going to put a certain price on this. Now, the someone at the table can actually buy that now you have money or they may forego that and they can do a number of other things which includes which i which is honestly the coolest part of this game as the game goes on you're actually building up a roller coaster of these parallel double-sided cardboard think steam park we played that before too and instead of buying a card or taking a specialist which will kind of help you you know rearrange your park you can place a marble 
at the start of your roller coaster and test out your roller coaster because you're only going to score victory points based upon how actually functional based upon the physics of the roller coaster are actually able to accomplish drop the marble at the at the start and it doesn't make it to the end of the roller coaster then you're not going to get all of those points so wherever it stops that's where your victory point stops so you really actually have to take into consideration physics in this it actually has a loop-de-loop -loop, which is amazing i really want to see that in action haven't seen that in action as of yet the artwork is stunning the production is it looks great and this seems like something that would be great for kind of like an early opening for a game night or definitely something to play where there are just a lot of non-gamers around to bring people over to the table but an auction mechanic a building mechanic and then a dexterity mechanic where you're actually testing the roller coaster is an, an inspired idea and i'm really looking forward to coaster park when it comes out from essen this looks crazy isn't it crazy <laughs> I've, i hadn't even heard of this before like scott alms man take a nap dude like <laughs> how many games you gotta put out this looks nuts yeah it, it really does i mean it's a light game it's an it's a but it's it's a really really interesting construction i haven't seen anything like this before and if it does play like it looks this is going to be something that's going to be on store shelves really soon all right, so that's everything that's our acquisitions disorders for this week. Now on to our At the Table with BGA. So, Anthony, what have you been getting to the table at BGA? All right, so the game I got to the table this week is one that we had a chance to preview at Gen Con. This is called Affliction Salem 1692, designed by Dan Hunditch and published by DPH Games. So it was kickstarted at the beginning of this year, and it is a worker placement game set in the Salem Witch Trials of the early or the late 17th century unlike a lot of other witch games quote unquote this one is really about the politics of the witch trials it clearly recognizes there were no witches and this was really about people manipulating and utilizing this system of witch trials to take other people's land and build up their own influence and accuse other people in which to take them down very very unique take on it incredibly historical like every person in the deck is somebody who was part of this. The The end game happens when Increase Mather or Mary Spencer Hill come out. And, and historically, that's kind of when the end of the witch trials occurred. It, it's the amount of time and energy that went into making sure that this was historically, if not fully accurate, because it is a game at least highly representative, is, is very cool. Um, the, the game itself plays over a series of rounds in which players are going to take their messengers, their workers, and put them on the central board. The central board has a whole bunch of different spaces on it, and, and these things will let you exonerate to remove different accusation tokens, take a protection marker, which lets you protect one of your own people, gain influence or use abilities. All the colonists that you're gonna take into your circle will have abilities on them. You can arrest people. They all have a reputation on the card for the different colonists, and you'll be able to reduce that by putting accusation tokens on them, but other people can also adjust that. And then you pay that adjusted cost to arrest them. And you get points for arresting people. Spectral evidence makes it a little bit easier to mess with people and generate influence. You can accuse people, gain or remove fear from people, and this kind of blocks their abilities to some degree. And finally, you can take them into your circle. So you can take a colonist, put them in your circle, and then you get to use their special ability as you play the game. And 
the goal of the game is to get the highest reputation value from each of the people you have here. So you get the victory points at the end of the game. You're going to start the game with certain people you're trying to arrest and certain people you're trying to protect. That you're going to be keeping an eye out for those people and trying to manipulate that. Everybody's either part of the village or the town. So you're that'll also influence who you're trying to arrest or protect. And overall, I mean, it's it sounds like a lot of game, but the rulebook is only four or five pages. The game itself fits on a fairly small space. It's in a small box. It, it's pretty accessible. It's pretty easy and quick to teach. And there's a lot of depth here. You know, if, at first look, it seems like, I mean, it is a self-printed game, but it seems just like a quick self-printed Kickstarter, whatever. But you, you really dig into it. And there's a solid, interesting, accessible game here. And if you're interested in the history behind the Salem Witch Trials, if you like a good worker placement, if you like a little bit of take that mixed in with your Euro mechanisms, this is a pretty good game. I, I was honestly surprised at how much fun it was and how how much depth there was here to the to the gameplay and the mechanisms. So I give this one a solid play. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, not to be outdone by every night is game night with their seven game review. I actually have an eight game review. Come <laughs> so, on. Yeah. Come on. Bring it. That's what, see, you did it second, so you waited, and then you just did one more. That's that's what you have to do. You take it up to 11, my friend. That's, that's, that's a good point. So, I'm going to kind of blow through, and I, and I mean that in the best possible way, because while these games are, as you'll hear, some very good, some very bad, um, they're all very light games, and they're typically variations on a theme of games you've already played before. So, hold on to your hat. Here we go. All right, first game up is Fun Employed. This is in the line of Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity or basically any of these games where you're given a bunch of cards and there is a single card that you have to kind of meet that accomplishment. So in this case for Fun Employed, you are trying to get a job depicted on that card. So for example, it might be a mad scientist and you have a, you have a couple of qualification cards in your hand that you're given at the start of the round. So you might have a split personality, a Russian accent, safety scissors, and sneaky. Now, you have to play each of these cards down and tell the judge in this case why this makes you a good qualified applicant for this position. If that was it alone, this game would be a dodge. But what Fun Employed does, which is very surprising, is it allows there to be kind of a market where there's a number of qualifications cards thrown out to the middle of the table. And then everyone's able to swap cards in and out. So you don't get stuck with your bad hand which tends to be one of the reasons why these other versions of this game don't work very well. So you swap cards out, you get your best kind of resume together, and then you can make your pitch. This is great. It's better than snake oil as far as that's concerned, so you don't kind of get hindered. You can make up your own jokes in that case. It has a variation where you could add, like, you're running late for the interview, and after you make your pitch, the person interviewing you throws out another card that might be something like, you have a really terrible comb over. Now you have to explain that on top of everything else. These types of games typically are dodges for me. Fun Employed actually gets a play. I really enjoyed playing this game. By being able to pick from the market was a lot of fun. By getting that last second card where you had to kind of like improv a situation to kind of get over it was a lot of fun. Everyone enjoyed this game. Definitely Fun Employed is a play. On the other side, there's another game that's like that. And this game is called F That, which means forget that. But you know, they don't really highlight that so much. Now, F that, once again, is a like of those other party games where you're given a card that has this terrible situation. You're going to pick one of the 
available substitutes. So for example, it might say, you just gone to the bathroom only to discover afterwards there's no toilet paper available. Which of these options would you accept? Now, the options go from somewhat normal, maybe it's a, a newspaper, a pile of leaves, and then it gets a little risque, quote unquote. So you pick one, everyone else at the table plays a card because now they're guessing which one you would pick. And that's the game. The game is so hit and miss as far as the cards are concerned. Some of them are very vanilla and some of them are unnecessarily extreme that I found and people at the table found like we were trying to look for something that was funny in there and there just wasn't a lot of funny. If there's anything about this game that it needs to be, it needs to be funny. And it just wasn't funny and the gameplay was superfluous you didn't really have to go through this whole kind of voting situation. You just kind of read the card and go, yeah, I would do this. And you're not really held to anything. So F that gets a burn because while it's a good production, it's not a game. You don't need this $30 game to kind of play with your friends. You can kind of make these things thing on your own. Now, speaking about games you've played before, Speechless. Speechless is charades in a box. Now, if you play charades or you haven't played charades, basically you're going to get a clue and you're going to act out the clue without saying any words. And then everyone else is going to be the judge and they're going to guess what you could possibly be saying. Now, I've just explained speechless and charades and it costs you no money. You can go out and play it by yourself and enjoy it. If you do want to spend the $30 for speechless, it's a big box production by Mike Elliott, who we like very much, but this doesn't need to be $30 and it doesn't need to be a big box. It has some rules which makes the game a little more kind. So in typical charades, it's either you get it or you don't get it. In Speechless, it allows some more flexibility as far as, well, you didn't get the answer right, but you someone else got the same wrong answer, so you get a point. And you're giving the clues out and no one really got it, but they got somewhat close to it, so you get points from that person. But beyond this... This game really doesn't need to exist. So if you like charades and you wanted a big box version, this is a really nice production. Otherwise, it's kind of useless because it doesn't really add anything new to the game. And it's at a pretty high price point. So I'm going to say for Speechless, Dodge. Next, Secrets. Secrets is a hidden role game by Bruno Faduti. And Eric Lang. So once again, amazing designers here. So you can't kind of knock that. On top of which, Asmodee has done an amazing production here. This is probably the best hidden role productions in a game I've ever seen. They have these really large plastic tokens that depict if you're a CIA or a KGB agent. These beautiful kind of tarot-sized cards that show off all these different contexts you can have with amazing artwork on here. And then basically, the game is all about trying to gain the most points, whether you're the KGB or the CIA. Or the third party that kind of comes into play here is you could be an anti-establishment hippie. And as a hippie, you want to get the lowest points possible. On your turn, you're given two cards. You decide which of the two cards secretly you're going to play. You give it to someone else. They know which two cards you got. They decide whether they're going to accept it or decline it. It can go back into your hand, or if it goes into their hand, they have to play out that role. And once you someone at the table gets five cards in front of them, the game comes to an end. You see what points are depicted on those cards. There's also bullets that are shot at certain players based upon the assassin here. 
and that's going to be negative points in the game. Now, if it was just for the artwork, if it was just for the components, if it was just for this really interesting card mechanic that went on, this game would be a play. Unfortunately, this game suffers what a lot of hidden role games suffer from, is that you could be playing a certain strategy in the game, doing very well, doing very poorly, and just almost randomly, someone can change your role. I play this with a larger group of people, small groups of people, bunch of different people, game night people. I had one person, my friend Russ, loves this game obsessively. And then I had other people just kind of walked away and shook their head and wouldn't play the game a second time. That mechanic where things are so easily swapped in and out really definitely bothers people. And it bothers me because at that point, it's not a game. It's just kind of a game experience because you really don't have any control because anything can change at any point and you can't stop it. So as far as secrets are concerned, it's a dodge. Decent game, but it's a, really it's a dodge. Next up is Werewords by Bezier Games. Now this is once again another hidden role game, but it incorporates 20 questions. Now if you want to know more about this game, take a look at Insider by Oink Games because it's pretty much the same game here. What Werewords does is it provides a pretty amazing app that you've probably seen a very similar version to this at One Night Ultimate Werewolf. So basically, there's werewolves, there's villagers, there's a seer, and there's a couple of other roles that could come into play. And once everyone has those roles, the mayor will pick a secret word. And basically at that point, you will play 20 questions. What I liked about this was the fact that playing 20 questions actually gave you information about people instead of just randomly pointing at people and say they're the werewolf or they're a villager, or they're the seer. So the 20 questions really gives you some information. It makes the game more of a game. So I'm going to say for Werewords, it's a play. Next up is Word Slam by Cosmo Games. Now, Word Slam is something that we've talked about previously before. I know Anthony's a big fan of it. We played this at Origins. And basically what it is is charades, but you're using cards instead of movements. So there's going to be two sides, and you're going to have nouns, verbs, actions and such and you're going to play cards on this stand that's going to be able to depict your word now your word isn't just your word alone because the other team is also trying to guess the same exact word so while your team is guessing out loud the other team's overhearing and being able to use those clues as well so it's really a very fast-paced speed game because a lot of clues are going out there at the same time you're playing cards it's the same deck on your side as it is on their side. It's always fun at the end to see what they got compared to what you got, how you kind of organize things. And it can play with almost an infinite number of people because other than those two clue givers, everybody else can be playing on one side or the other. It's 105 cards in this game. It's fantastic. It's definitely a play. And that is Word Slam. Next up is number nine. Now, number nine uh, by Peter Wickman is a game that almost made it as far as being an outstanding phenomenal game basically what it is is you're building a little tower of numbers and the numbers are kind of strangely shaped based upon almost like a tetris kind of pattern so there are 20 cards in the game there are 10 numbers you flip the card over that number comes out and everyone plays the number to their little kind of construction the bottom level numbers count as nothing, and as you build on those previous foundations, you'll score points based upon the level times the number that you placed on there. Now, when you place a higher number, it has to lay 
perfectly without any holes underneath it over two numbers. So while it seems at first you're going to scale up and get like a long tower, it doesn't actually work that way. You're really going to have to build a big, big foundation. While I did enjoy this game, it was somewhat underwhelming. First off, it only plays up to four players where this could have easily played eight players without a problem. It's just a deck of cards that determines what comes out, and the box is so big, you think it's going to play at least four to six, and playing one to four doesn't really make very much sense. Beyond that, the game is a little simplistic as far as placing those numbers. If the numbers were smaller and this was a kind of like travel game, if the numbers were huge and it was kind of like almost a convention type of game, or if the numbers were made out of different materials, that would also be interesting. But as it stands, it's just a very generic game that does something kind of well, but maybe not far enough. I think the game is worth the play, but I can't recommend it for a buy because there's just not enough to the game. Finally, I want to talk about Letter Tycoon. Now, I don't happen to be a fan of word games. I don't have that vast vocabulary to kind of draw upon. So anytime someone brings a word game to the table, I'm a little iffy about that. So when I saw this box cover for Letter Tycoon, I was like, that's kind of interesting, but it looks all kind of bland, to be honest with you. Now, this comes from Breaking Games by Brad Brooks. And basically what you're going to do in this game is like all the other word games, you're going to make words, right? Big surprise here. But nonetheless, what you're going to be able to do is as you're building words, you're going to be getting money and the money allows you to buy patents. So you'll be able to buy one of the letters in the alphabet as a patent. So anytime anyone else uses that letter in their word, you're going to score money. Now, obviously the vowels are going to be the most expensive and the letters that are infrequently used, like for example, the letter Z, it's going to give you a special ability in addition to scoring money. So I, I believe that for a Z, you could actually build two words. Now, it's not a simple game and you really want to build the longest word possible because that's going to score you the most money. It looks bland. It's actually a lot of fun. The components of this game are high quality. The graphic design is interesting. And I think it's something easy to overlook, but I think it's something you should play. So I'm going to say play Letter Tycoon. I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. And that is eight game reviews, my friend. Woo. You need a nap? <laughs> Tired? A little bit. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of party games, but a lot of good times. All right. So that's everything at my table this past week. Now on to the feature review. So for our feature review, we are going to go into the hotness of BGG. Board Game Geek's top hot games that everyone's looking at, everyone wants to get to the table, and we just really want to figure out why. So I turn to the mysterious yet wise and aged professional in board gaming, Anthony. Why are all these games on the hotness this week? Essen and Kickstarter. Done! Good night, everybody! Woo! Good episode! <laughs> it's the answer every week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's a few different... There's a couple unique ones on here. We'll get right. into it. All right. So what is on the hotness list this week? All right. So number one on the top of the hotness is the seventh continent. This is the big Kickstarter hotness of the month. I could We could call this Gloomhaven Part 2 because I think this is comparable in terms of why it's so high. It is now in the top 100 on BGG. It shipped to backers about a month ago. Sure. And there's a new Kickstarter for the second printing starting, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday. So when you're listening to this, it should be going up. So it's an epic storytelling narrative game. I have not played it. I think Jason is playing it. He's going to talk about it in the next couple of weeks. 
but it's very solo friendly, so it's probably something I'll keep an eye on. So that's the top, top game. Moving on down the list, we're diving into some Essen releases. We have first up Loot Island. This is the newer newer announced game from What's Your Game? So these are the guys behind Nippon and Shango and I think last year's Railroad Revolution. So lots and lots of good games. I'm not sure if this one's coming out at Essen or not. They have a couple of other games coming out. I think Brazil is one. But it is, from all intents and purposes, looks to be a pirate-style hidden treasure type of game out in the ocean. So don't know a lot about it. I think they just announced it, and that's why it's kind of up here on the list. The third game is one that we got a chance to at least take a peek at at Gen Con. This is a new game from CGE. And the designer of one of our favorites, Last Will, Vladimir Succi, and it is Pulsar 2849. So it is a space exploration game with a whole bunch of dice rolling. And at the moment, that's all I really know about it. But some people are comparing it in at least certain ways to Roll for the Galaxy. To me, it doesn't really look the same, and it's a lot bigger and a lot more expensive. So I don't think it's quite on par, Uh, but it's space with dice. So it's something we'll keep an eye on for you. Number four, Gloomhaven. What more is there to say about Gloomhaven, guys? I don't know what else we could say. Big, huge game. It got delayed a little bit for people who backed it. I think it should be in backer hands by the end of this year. Uh, But it's coming soon. There'll be many thousands of copies floating around very soon. Number five, Charterstone, Jamie Stegmeier's legacy game from Stonemeyer Games. This one is hitting in December. I think the reason that it's on the list here is that there is a Watch It Played video that just went up that Rodney posted. So if you want to learn the rules to this game, you can now do so. And it is releasing in Essen in limited quantities. So some people will have it here in the next few weeks. But uh, mass release for the rest of us will be in December. The next one here on the list is a new one from Haba uh, in their family line. So in the 10 plus range. It's Ikwatsu, and I'm not really sure if I'm saying that correctly, Um, but it is a, you know what, I don't have any idea what this is. It is a a game about the land of waterfalls, and it's it's definitely this fantasy realm. It's area in control and area influence, but definitely designed for more younger children. So very bright, very beautiful, kind of fits into that same realm of weights as Karuba and other recent releases they've done. This is another one that we'll probably get a chance to hear about, at least from Essen. Um, looks pretty interesting. Number seven here on the list, Terraforming Mars. Again, what more is there to say about Terraforming Mars? It's just going to hang out here on the list for a while now. The reason it's probably up a little bit, at least, is the game after that on the list, Terraforming Mars Venus Next. This is the new expansion for Terraforming Mars being released at Essen. It introduces a new Venus board and adds a new terraforming track, adds a few new cards, adds some new corporations, adds a new solo version of the game. It apparently does not make the game any longer, so that's good. Uh, There's a, a new rule that I think a lot of people were house ruling, but now it's an official rule that at the end of every round, you raise one of the terraforming tracks by one. So the game kind of moves along, even if people are building their engine. I'm ex- I mean, it's terraforming Mars, so I'm super excited for this anyways. But new cards, new stuff. It's more than just a new board. So that'll be cool. That one is going to be out soon. I think it's like number two of six of their planned expansions. Next on the list here is Tokyo Highway. This one is on the list because it just got released to the BGG store. It was released, I think, at the 
the Tokyo game market uh, earlier this year. And I can't really tell what it is, except the, um, like I mean, I could read obviously the description, which you can do as well. But it's a dexterity game to some degree. But you're building a highway where you're planning, you're laying these different sticks across these different pillars and then moving cars along those pillars. It looks really chaotic and possibly like it would fall down very easily. I'm I really want to try this. It looks pretty cool. It is on the BGG store right now. I don't know how many copies they got, but it is there now if you want to check it out. Uh, and it's I don't know. It's this quirky Japanese dexterity game. So what else? What else is there to say about it? Next up, we have Massive Darkness. This shipped to all backers here in the last month or so. I think a few people are still waiting for it, but the majority of the 20,000 people who backed it have it now, including myself, including Chris. You got your copy, right? I do. All right. So a lot of people are playing it, and that's why it's here. (laughs) (laughs) It's massive and it's dark, but yeah. Yeah, that's why it's on the list, guys. Arkham Horror, the card game, is just kind of living at the top of the hotness lately. Uh, They had a new deluxe expansion, Path to Carcosa, just released at Gen Con and just shipped to everybody else, I think, last week. So that's why that one's up there. Got a second wave of stuff there. Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. Now, this is one of the top rated games on BGG, period, number two. But also, it had an app just released about a week ago. So I am currently playing my way through that. We'll actually be talking about it in a future episode on the Every Night is Game Night side. So um, good reason for it to be up here. Dragon Castle is a new game from Horrible Games. This is what it looks to be a Euro version of Mahjong. So it's custom Mahjong tiles and beautiful artwork, beautiful box. There's not, it's it's hard to tell what it is based on just what's been presented because the game, I think it was just announced and just put up here a few days ago. But it's definitely, it's like a spin on Mahjong. It's very beautiful. It's got kind of that aesthetic that um, some of their other games have, like Potion Explosion, and it will be available at Essen. So I know a lot of people are very excited about this one. Got the, the pattern building and recognition, the tile placement. It is an abstract, but not quite as abstract (laughs) so to speak as other games clans of caledonia is a euro game being released at essen this was on kickstarter earlier this year Uh, i did pass up on backing this one just because of the sheer volume of stuff that's been out this year but it does look like a very interesting take on euro mechanisms with uh, some area control a whole bunch of sheep (laughs) and wheat and all the good stuff that you want in a euro game taking place in the scottish countryside so you know there's some whiskey in there as well and they have the first few copies of the game available for people at Essen. And then the last one here in the hotness on the top 15, Spirit Island. In my opinion, one of the best cooperative games, period. So definitely check this one out. Um, if you're a Euro gamer and not a huge fan of the generally midweight cooperative games out there, this solves all of that. And that's all I have to say about that. I don't think it's on here for any other reason than it's really good. That's always the best reason for it to be on there. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.